Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today. It's good to be with you every Sunday. I was hoping that um, I hadn't lost my voice from yesterday. We had a, a soccer game, and we were winning one to zero for a very long time, and it was very exciting, and um, I was yelling at the girls to go faster because they, uh, they like to look at the ball and not kick the ball. I have one young lady who had three breakaways, and, and every time she would have the ball right there at her feet, the goalie is right in front of her, the goal is right there expansively right in front of her, and then for some reason she just kind of stops and waits, and then they take it away from her, and, and she kind of gets upset, and, and you wonder, why did you stop? Uh, so much of my time yesterday was spent screaming, go get the ball! Why are you standing there? All right, we're going to get serious here in a minute. Um, but it's, it, was a, uh, it was a great game, and the girls did very well. I told them how proud I was of them. Our goalie did a great job, and, and my voice is just, you can kind of hear a little bit of raspiness because of all that, but, um, but it was an exciting time. And um, so we did, we dealt with soccer. Uh, we dealt with, with ballet in the morning, and then, um, you know, we just kind of hung out at home, and, and I, I studied. And it's been, uh, it's been interesting these past, uh, this past week, I guess, because um, I did Sunday school last Sunday, and then I did Wednesday service uh, this past Wednesday, and obviously I'm, I'm speaking this morning with you. Um, and, and then pastor's back. So you'll get to uh, enjoy him as he returns and, and has a testimony of what the Lord has, the mighty things the Lord has done in, um, in that country, wherever they are. I don't know where they are. Uh, in that country, and, um, and, and what God is doing there, and he says that it has been a, a great trip up in France, and so uh, we just love them. We, we love the, the saints that are up there. We know that, that God is doing many wonderful things, and then tonight we're, we'll return, and, and we'll just have a, a time of celebration, some Parat's prayer, and, and we'll pray for their safe travels. We'll pray for uh, the continued work that's going on over there um, and, and then, like I said, their safe return, really, um, and to hear all these great things. But, but as I'm studying, um, you know, I'm asking the Lord, what, what do you want to say this time, right? I've, I've been speaking, uh, spoke three times in a row, what's, what's next? And um, one of the things that I wanted to do was, uh, the Lord led on my heart, was to talk about prayer. It, it is something that, that this church uh, this Saints Network really is very invested in when we talk about intercession and supplication and prayer. Uh, last time I spoke, uh, I believe it was October 6th, um, I spoke on pray, 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 the, the three types of prayer found in the New Testament. Um, and, and there they are at the top. So if you've got your worksheet or if you're looking at this online, I left it up there for you. We're, we're going to read just this first part of 1 Timothy. I left the Greek in there, so if you wanted to study, you could. But, but as I thought about it I, I, and prayed, I really felt like, hey, I, I want to extend this into the Old Testament. What was it like in the Old Testament? What, how did they pray? And, and was it the same thing? Um, there are different words for prayer in the Old Testament. We're going to look at those. 
But just as a recap, in 1 Timothy 2, uh, verse 1, we're just going to read that first part. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, thesis, prayers, prosuke, intercessions, and two exes, and giving of thanks, Eucharista, be made for all men. And we went into the Greek and, and what that means. We talked about entechano, uh, which is where that root word entechis comes from. Um, you know, when it talks about um, having a conference with God, if you will, and intercession and all that. Uh, we talked about those. So if you missed that and you want to hear it, go back, listen to the archive. It's there. Uh, but there's some words for you to study uh, with the Strong's if you want. Um, but as I, as I continued on and continued to study, I started to look at prayer in the Old Testament. And, and it is fascinating to read uh, or to study in the Old Testament because we have to remember it, it's a different language, obviously, but, but it's a different uh, formulation of that language as well. The Greek, the Greek is not a um, pictorial language the way that the Hebrew is and the Aramaic. So when, when they have these little symbols, and I left the symbols in there for you to see, when they had these little symbols, each individual letter, each individual symbol actually has a connotation or a meaning assigned to it in the Hebrew. That's not the same for the Greek, right? In the Greek, it's a letter, like our alphabet. And a letter is a letter, and, and it just means the letter A or the letter B. In, in the Hebrew, that letter has a context to it. Um, so we're not going to dive real deep into it, but it is just fascinating to study the Hebrew because of that. Uh, so we're going to look at the words uh, atar, paga, and palal. And I apologize for any Greek scholars out there because I know I'm going to butcher these words. Um, but we are going to look through them. Uh, we're going to start, though, before we get into the words and some of the verses. And you can see I've got a booklet here in, in your handout. It's a booklet. Of, of just verses we're going to go through. So we're going to try to get through them as quickly as possible, um, but, but we are going to look through most of them. But, but when we think about prayer in the Old Testament, we have to remember that, that Jewish prayer was, was very, very traditional. It, it held significance in everything that they did, and, and it's interesting to see that significance pass into the New Testament in the days of Jesus. So we all know that there are, there are three times of prayer in the Old Testament. Um, they are there on your worksheet, the, the shakarit, the mincha, the marv, or the arvit. Uh, and this is morning, afternoon, and evening prayer. So when they said it was at the, the sixth hour, it was at the evening hour, these are the times that they're talking about. This is when the Jewish people stopped everything that they were doing, and then they had time to pray, morning, afternoon, and evening. And we see this in the life of Jesus. There are scriptures that tell us about Jesus going uh, into the evening prayer or at the time of prayer. That's what they're talking about. So when we think about prayer in the Old Testament, this is really where we start, the, the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. And the, the Jews in, in Hebraic life, what we really see is this concept of of prayer and communion with God as being a part of your every single day life. And, and we'll look at that here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Starting at the beginning, verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it, that you mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments 
which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. And some of you may recognize this. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto your children, and shalt talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of your house and on thy gates. And it shall be, when the Lord God shall have brought thee into the land which he swore unto your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and wells dig which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, when you shall have eaten and be full. Then beware, lest you forget the Lord, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods, of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee, and destroy thee from off the face of the earth an amazing passage and, and and really in a nutshell it's talking about the the lifestyle that God wanted these people to live he wanted them to know him and him alone right he he wanted them to see look I am your God and I'm, I'm pulling you out of this this land of slavery and I'm giving you all the good things that I want to give you I'm, I'm putting you in in cities that you didn't build I'm putting you in houses and filling them with things that you didn't fill them with I'm giving you vineyards that you didn't plant I'm giving you all this stuff and I want you to know that I am your God I'm a jealous God and and one of the ways that I want you to remember me is by these things uh, known as phylacteries and, and the way that the Jews carried these with them is that it was a, basically a little box, a little box of scriptures. And they would put the little box here, and it had, um, it had leather straps on the little box. And so they would take these little leather straps, and they would tie them to the front of their face, to their head. That's, that's what it means when it says frontlet. So they had literally tiny little boxes on their heads that if you open it's like a little treasure chest and when you opened it there were scriptures inside and so they kept their favorite scriptures inside this box this is one of those scriptures hero hero israel the lord god is one lord that is one of the scriptures it was like their lord's prayer many of us learned the lord's prayer as a young child i know i did it was ingrained in me it was something that i was that was said every single day when we went to chapel or to mass or whatever this was their lord's prayer this and other verses and they kept these in these tiny little boxes the other place they kept them is on a strap on their arm. And so they would have these leather bindings all the way up their arm. It looked like a big giant snake going up. And, and the box ended up about right here on the vein of the arm. And so there was a little box here on the arm. There was a little box here on the head. And they would open these and they would take out the scriptures, the little scrolls, and they would read them. 
And that's where they took this verse. Let's look at the next one, Matthew chapter 23. This is in the New Testament. Then spoke Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid, you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works. Don't do what they're doing, for they say, but they don't do. They bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, but be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, Christ, and all of you are brethren. Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven, God. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So this is one of the things that Jesus was really trying to, to dare, tear down. When, when God said, look, I want you to remember these scriptures in, in your mind and put them as part of your body. I really want you to invest in knowing my word, in hearing my words, in reading my words, in knowing my words. That's really the heart of what God was trying to do here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, bind them to your forehead, bind them to your body, make them a part of your life. And what, they, what the Jews, the Pharisees, ended up doing way, 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 way later, and what Jesus called them out for, he was saying, you, you put these boxes on your head, and, and then you compete with each other. Hey, look at my giant box on my little head. That's what they would do. They would have these giant boxes, and they'd say, hey, look at me. I've got so many scriptures that I love and enjoy. This man, this thing is like just this big gift box that you see at Christmas. That's all it is. It's just a giant box of scriptures. Look at me, everybody. Look at me. Call me master because these are the ones that I've memorized. And man, there's a whole lot of them in there. That's what they were doing. And Jesus said, look, you, you guys come over here and you, you show off your, your knowledge of scripture, but, but you don't even follow the word. You don't even do what you say that you're supposed to do. You're, you're just kind of going off doing your own thing. And so he calls them out on that. But this was the concept of, of prayer when it came to the Old Testament, of binding it to your heart, binding it to your body, of knowing and understanding Scripture. The other thing that, that we see in the Old Testament, uh, when we think about Jews and, and, and prayer in the Old Testament, is this, this talit, the, the four-cornered shawl. This was interesting to me. I mean, it's all interesting, but, but this was really cool. Numbers chapter 15, let's read that. 15 verse 37, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribband of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you used to go whoring, that you may remember and do all my commandments, and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. 
I am the Lord your God. So, so he is, God is addressing even what the people wore. He said, I want you to have these things on your forehead. I want you to bind them to your arm. The way that you dress should be different when you walk around. I want you to look different than everybody else. I want you to be different than everybody else. And one of the things that he asked them was, put four corners on your shawl, on your, on your clothing, as a, a remembrance of my commandments. So he had one that came down basically from the arms, from each arm, so that's two. And then one that came down from the legs, and so that's four, right? One, two, three, four. So these four um, tassels, if you will, were there, and they were dangling along, and he said, I want them to be blue. And so that's why you see in many Jewish cultures, when, 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 they, when you see them at the Wailing Wall or whatever, they'll have these, uh, these white robes with lining of blue, and a lot of times they'll have these tassels of blue, because that's what, it, what the Lord said in Numbers 15. So let's look at Luke chapter 8, verse 43, and a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind Jesus and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood staunched. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody touched me. For I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling. And falling down before him, she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. I think this brings new light into this scripture. When we think about Jesus walking along, and her looking to touch the border, the hem, we've read that right in, in other versions, the hem of his garment, really what she's trying to touch here are the tassels. The tassels is what she's trying to touch here. So she's, she's reaching forth, right? She's got this issue of blood. She says, I know I can be healed. She, she's probably on the ground. Um, she's trying to press through the legs. And, and she's saying, if I can just touch one of those tassels, I will be healed. And so she reaches out. She tries to hit like a little cat dangling at something, you know, moving in front of her. She tries to hit or swat that tassel because she wants to be healed. She wants to pull on it. And as soon as she does, the, the issue goes away. And Jesus says, I, I recognize that virtue has gone from me. And he makes it very clear, very clear that it was faith that made this happen. There's, there's a... a there's, there's a thought from Jesus here, a, a calling from him to say, look, it is your faith in God. It is your, your desire to be a part of him and his commandments and his ways that is causing you to be healed. That it, it's no more than you wanting to have that, that, that conversation, that commitment, that companionship with the Lord that is making this happen. And it's, and it's all from this, these concepts from the Old Testament. It's interesting to see how, and, and there are many more examples, but it's interesting to see how this Old Testament plays right into the New Testament, how they work together. So we're going to go a little bit deeper into the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to talk about these, these three different types of prayers that are found in there. And the first one we're going to go to is with um, supplication. It, it's that word, uh, atar, 
So we're going to read in Exodus chapter 8. Uh, I'm not going to read that first part. We'll be here all day if I read all these scriptures. Um, but we're going to read. I left it in there for you to see it. Exodus chapter 8. We're going to skip down to verse 5, that first break in the paragraph. But I'll give you some context. So Moses is with Pharaoh. There's all these things happening. And, and um, Pharaoh is refusing to let the people go. And so he says, uh, I'm going you know, to bring a plague upon them. Verse 5, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and said unto Aaron, Stretch forth your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters, and frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs up the land of Egypt. So they, the Egyptians were able to emulate this and bring more frogs. And so they said, see, we can do it too. But they couldn't get them away. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, entreat, that's that word, atar, the Lord, that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let your people go, that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee and for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from thee in your houses, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, tomorrow. If you do this, I'll let your people go tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to your word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee, and from your house, and from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord. He entreated unto God because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out of the villages, out of the fields, out of the houses, and they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. So the first word we learn about today uh, is the Hebrew word atar, and it means to entreat, to go after and say, hey, on behalf of this individual over here, Lord, I ask that you supply this need. That is the word atar, and that's the word we see here um, in Exodus chapter 8. We see it before this in Genesis chapter 25. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister, not, not the daughter of Panam, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. That was for my wife. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And, I, and I'll pause there. We won't read the rest of this. Um, this, this talks about the children inside her womb. So there is sadness in, in the life of Isaac when he has his wife and they're unable to conceive. And so he entreats on behalf of his wife. He goes to the Lord and he says, on, on the behalf of my wife, I ask that you take away this suffering, that you give her a child, that, that you allow us to to bear children, to, to take away the barrenness, if you will. Um, and so on her behalf, he attars the Lord, and, she, and he uh, gives her a child. Actually, he gives her two children, Jacob and Esau. And so Jacob and Esau are in her, her belly. The boys grow, and, and we know that Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. 
In verse 28, and Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. But, but all this was because he entreated, he, he supplicated after the Lord. That's the word atar. Let's look at the next one, the word um, pagah and palal. So we'll look at palal last, even though it's in here a couple of times. But in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 8, we read this. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered to do all these abominations? Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robber, robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, says the Lord. But go ye now into my place, which is in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke unto you, rising up early and speaking, but you heard not, and I called you, but you answered not. Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein you trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. Therefore, Palau, pray, not thou for this people. Neither lift up cry, nor prayer, Tipalau, for them. Neither make intercession, Pagah, to me, for I will not hear thee. We will talk about Palau in a second. So I want to focus, but I want you to see that it's in there. I want to focus on Pagah. So we see here that God wanted to meet with them. And he says, look, I, I came to you in the morning. I wanted to talk to you in the morning. I cried out to you, and you were nowhere to be found. You, you basically ignored me. You left me alone. I have been trying to have this conversation with you, this companionship, this partnership. You have pushed me away. Guess what? This same thing happened in Shiloh. Well, look what happened to Shiloh. So the same thing that happened in Shiloh, it's going to come down unto you. And, and he's talking to Jeremiah here, and he says, don't pray for the people. Don't pagah over them to me, because I'm not going to hear it. My mind is made up. This is a done deal. Um, we're going to move forward with, with this plan that I have. So don't pray for them, but definitely don't pagah over them. This, this word pagah is the word intercession. And, and we see it in a different context here in 1 Samuel chapter 10, which is why it's in here. Because I want you to understand what this intercession really means. So 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5. After that shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass, when you are come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet Pagah, a company of prophets coming down, from the high place with a psaltery and tabret and a pipe and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you shall prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. 
You remember this? Do you remember this? This is talking about Saul. Saul was looking for his, his uncle's donkeys. And so he's going off onto the road and the Lord speaks to him. And he says, I want to meet with you. I want to be inside of you. I, I want to, to empower you to be king. Now, here's how I'm going to accomplish that. You're going to go down and you're going to uh, intercede with this band of, of prophets. And they're going to have harps and they're going to be singing. Uh, they're going to be playing music. They're going to be doing all these things. And one of the things they're also going to be doing is prophesying. So these guys are going to go down. They're just going to start speaking and prophesying and, and saying all these things. And you, you, Saul, are going to do that as well. So you are going to meet with them. You're going to intercede them. And that's what's going to happen. It's the word pagah. So, so when we talk about the Old Testament um, concept of intercession, of pagah, it is a thing where you meet with someone. Most of the time in the Old Testament, the word pagah is translated as meet or to fall upon. It's not necessarily translated as intercession, which broadens our understanding of this word, really. When, when we think about intercession, a lot of times we think about, you know, just, just going down deep into prayer and, and just calling out to God. And that's, that's not inappropriate. That's not wrong. But really, it's this thing where you are going to partner with something or someone where, and it, again, it's translated as fall sometimes, but, but where you go and you, you completely commit yourself to something that is going on. You completely commit yourself to the plan that God is establishing. That is the word pagah. That's the word intercession here. And that's why it's translated this way in all these different passages. So we looked at Atar, this, this idea of supplication. Lord, I'm just calling out to you on behalf of this person. We look at intercession, which is this concept of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive deep into the things that are going on in this place and, and do the things that God has called me to do, but, but in, a, in, a, in a powerful and exciting way right here. And, and lastly, we want to look at this word, palau. I told you at the beginning um, that, that Hebrew was a, a pictorial language, and the, each symbol represents something. And, and we have to remember that Hebrew was read from, from right to left, not like our backwards way of left to right. So I put the, the symbols here on the page for you, and they should be read from right to left. It's, it's pay, lamed, lamed, uh, or here, lamed, lamed, pay. And, and the first symbol that we really need to look at is the word, uh, or the symbol pay here. And, and in the Hebrew, this word is representative of the mouth. Okay, so, so it looks like a little, looks like a, almost like an upside down G, but it's supposed to be representative of a mouth, an open mouth speaking. And so whenever this symbol appears in scripture as, as part of a word, what it's really saying is it has something to do with the mouth. It has something to do with, with speaking forth or saying something out loud. The, the word lamed is a representative of a, um, a shepherd's staff. And, and so many times when you see this word lamed uh, or the symbol lamed, it's talking about authority, someone who has um, dominion or, or mastership, like a master and slave relationship, someone who is keeping charge over something else like sheep. So lamed is the, the shepherd's crook. We've got the mouth, the shepherd's crook, and then we've got the shepherd's crook again. 
Anytime you see the double issuance, we know this. Pastor has spoken on this many times. When you see the double issuance, it's really talking about um, paying special note to it because it's, it's uh, authoritative, right? It means, hey, not only is this one time, it's two times. Pay attention. And, and that's really what it's talking about here. So, lamed, lamed, pay, the, that word, palal, P-L-L, is talking about speaking forth under authority with authority, or, or even backwards, speaking forth with authority under authority. That is the word palal. That's what it means to pray in the Old Testament. We're going to see a couple of examples here. But, but when you look at the example just from the word, it's talking about having this, this relationship with God where you are prophesying. You're speaking forth the things that God has called you to speak, but you're saying them because you are under authority. God has asked you to do these things, and you're saying them with authority. And, and it goes contrary to all these things that the, um, the, the Pharisees were trying to do. And this is why Jesus was so upset. Because he says, you come into these rooms and you, and you pray, but all you're doing is saying words. There's no heart to it. There's no spirit involved. You're saying the words that you have memorized, but really you don't even believe them yourself because you don't understand the concept of palal. You don't understand this, this concept of you have authority, you have been given authority, speak with authority, and say these things because you are, you are establishing God's dominion um, on this earth. They were not doing that. They were speaking forth out of religion, not of relationship. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, an example of Palau. And Samuel said unto the people, fear not. You have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn you not aside. For then should you go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray, palal, for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he has done for you. But if you shall still do wickedly, you shall be consumed, both you and your king. Palau. Samuel was entreating after God in such a way as to speak forth into their lives, into their hearts with authority in what they needed to do. And he said, I will be here to teach you the good and the right way. Let's look at the next one. Numbers chapter 21. Verse 4, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to come past the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Where have, wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Palau unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Why wasn't 
a tar used in this situation? Why not entreat on our behalf? And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it on upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Many people believe that, that this same concept is found um, in, in, medical, in the medical world, where they have the symbol of, of the staff or the pole and then the snake around it. That's, that's where they get this from, uh, or that's where they get that from, people believe. But this concept of palau, again, why wasn't entreat used? Why wasn't supplication? Why wasn't their intercession made? Why was it that they asked for prayer? The, the concept of Moses, you are in communion with God constantly. Remember when, remember when God said, I want to meet with the people. And he said, hey, get everybody cleaned up, showered, and ready to go, and have them come to the mountain. I want to talk to them. And, and so everybody got ready, and they did their sacrifices, and, and, and they, they showered, put on their best clothes. They came to the mountain, and, and the Bible says in Exodus that there was thunders, and there was lightnings, and there was earthquakes, and there was all these crazy things happening. And, and all of a sudden, the people got afraid, and they say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Moses, you go meet with God, and you tell us what he says, because this is just way too much for us. And they backed off, and so Moses kind of steeled himself, put on his, his, his jacket, tied it all up, and then he went to the mountain to meet with God. So Moses became God's voice to the people, reluctantly on God's side, because God wanted to meet with the people individually. And so when the people here are, are dying, they're getting bit by these snakes, they say to Moses, hey, Moses, you be that mouthpiece with authority, under authority, and, and tell the Lord that we're sorry. You be the mouthpiece. You be that thing that calls forth healing into this place. So it's not even on behalf of, it's not intercession, if you will. It's not to, to come upon. It's the concept of uh, using your mouth, having authority, and being under authority that these people needed in order to be freed. And, that, and this is what God ended up doing, is putting that snake on the staff, and when they looked, when they turned their eyes to it, they were healed. Let's look at one more. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. We read this on Wednesday, um, and, and it's an interesting study, so if you missed on Wednesday, I'll, I'll say a little bit about it, but, but really go and listen to that. For I know the thoughts, Makeshabeth, that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and palau unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Not intercede, not atar, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, says the Lord. I will turn away your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. We read this one on Wednesday. Again, I'm going to give you a quick recap. We read this one on Wednesday, and if you read in, in verses 1 through 10, it's really talking about this, this nation of people who are in captivity. 
And, and the Lord says, hey, guess what? I allowed you to be in captivity. I put you in this situation because I need your heart to change. I need you to understand that, that this captivity is not a place where you want to live, so I have allowed it. And, and it says it very explicitly in verses 1 through 10, I have placed you here. And then he says in verse 11, but I know the thoughts that I have for you. The NIV says, I know the plans that I have for you. And I think it's a little better translation. Because when you really look at what Makeshabeth is, any time that it's mentioned, the Makeshabeth, it's talking about cunning inventiveness. It's talking about a very specific plan that's been laid out. When you, I wanted to be an architect when I was younger. And God messed all that up. But when I was younger, I wanted to be an architect. I loved to draw. I loved to build with Legos. I loved to do all these things. And I thought, hey, natural thing, right? Um, and, and one of the things that I loved to do was, was to pretend to make blueprints. Have you guys ever seen blueprints? They fascinate me. They're so detailed. And obviously, I wouldn't be a good architect because I'm not detail-oriented. Um, but... Um, but I, they're, they're amazing because you, you unroll these blueprints and, and they're designed in such a way that you give them to somebody and that person who knows how to read a blueprint can create your vision to, to the inch, if you will, um, based on this piece of paper. That you don't necessarily have to have a conversation with the architect because, because the blueprint outlines every single little thing that has to happen. This fence needs to be this far away. It needs to be this long and this wide and this thick. And then the door is going to have this type of radius. And, and all these things are just outlined in the blueprint. Everything is written down in such a way that it's very, very clear to see what's going on. It is planned to the nth degree. When this word Makeshabeth shows up in Scripture, that is, is essentially what it is providing. It is saying that it is, it is so crafty and innovative that, that it, it allows for this expansion of what's supposed to be going on. That is the Makeshabeth. It's used for the word invented in Scripture. It's used for the word cunning works in Scripture. So when, it, when the Bible says, I know the thoughts, the plan that I think towards you, what he's saying is, look, I've got this expansive plan blueprint for what I want to happen in your life it's not just like hey I've got I've got good vibes going your way that's not what this is saying hey I, I know I have good thoughts that I think towards you they're just they're they're cool thoughts man they, they might be nice you, you might want to might want to jump on board that's not what God is saying here he's saying I have a detailed innovative cunning plan for your life. That's what I'm thinking about for you. And it's thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you something that is expected at the end. But you need to call upon me and pray, palal unto me, so that I can hearken unto you. I need you to be my voice. I need you to be under authority, speaking with authority, when you go and hearken to me. And when you do that, you're going to seek me, you're going to find me, but you have to search for me with all of your heart. It can't just be, hey, I'm going to say these words and, and things are going to happen. It's got to be you coming after me, hard after me, in order for this to be accomplished. This, again, I say, 
is why Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because to them, they were empty words. They were just words that they recited. They were words that they put on their foreheads or on their arms. They were just words on a piece of paper. They had no meaning whatsoever to their hearts, to their lives, to their spirits. They were just words. And, and Jesus was frustrated. And so you see his frustration all throughout the New Testament as he's kicking over tables for money changers. Hey, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. You guys have made it uh, a, a den of thieves. This is supposed to be a, a place where you call out to God with authority and you guys are just coming in here and, and saying rote scriptures that, that don't mean anything to you. He was frustrated with the concept of people who did not seek hard after God. That is the concept of prayer in the Old Testament. Let's look at last one, Hebrews chapter 11. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That, that really is the message of the saints. We, we don't pray to... to in, incite God to do something for us. We don't, we don't pray to have others hear it and say, wow, how eloquent their words. We, we don't pray um, just, just to say things and, and for others to hear. We pray to be a mouthpiece for God. We pray with authority. We pray under authority. We pray in partnership and in communion with God. We were at a, um, uh, at, with a friend. We went on a boat trip with some friends, and, and they are good Christians. We sat at a table, and they said, hey, we, we, didn't, we haven't prayed yet. And, and so we all joined hands, and, and the husband and the wife, uh, and I, I don't remember it, but it was, it was a, just a, a quick, short prayer that they said in unison, almost like a God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. But it was a little bit more meaningful than that. Um, and, and then they, they turned to me, the, the wife did, and she said, would you like to pray? And, and I was thrown back, and, and Kelly reminded me later that um, they know that I'm a, I'm a pastor, um, and so that was probably why she asked me to pray, and, and so I said, yeah, you know, sure, I'll, I'll pray. And so, again, we closed our eyes. We, still had, we were still joined at the hand, and, and I began to pray, and, and obviously did not say, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. Um, my, my girls do that, and it's perfectly fine. You know, they're, they're getting accustomed to prayer, but one of the things that we are praying at, when we eat is something a little bit more substantive. And, and when we go to sleep, we, we, pry, we try to be a little bit more substantive as well there. Is that better? A little bit more substantive there as well. And, and so every night I pray with them, and, and there's times when I just get tired and I say, Lord, bless them, let them you know, go to sleep and have a good day and good dreams, good night, amen. And, and then I get out of there. There are other times when I recognize that, look, I'm praying for my daughters, and, and so I'll, I'll, maybe I'll say the same things but I'll have heart behind it. Lord, please help let them have good dreams because I don't want them to wake up in the middle of the night and jump to our bed. Daddy, I had a bad dream. But, but more importantly than that, Lord, you know, be with them at night. Give them the dreams that you want them to have. There's, there's power in our prayer, in the words that we are saying. And, and we can't let prayer just turn into something that we say and something that we do. It has to have Meaning, that is the concept of Palau. And so we're, we're joined hands where she asked me to pray for our meal, and, and so I did. 
I didn't pray for the offering. I prayed for the meal. And, and I, said, I, I said, you know, Lord, I thank you for the fellowship time. I thank you for the food that we're about to eat. I thank you for the people that we're here with. And I'm, I'm telling you the concept. Obviously, it's not exactly what I said. But I'm telling you the concepts of we have fellowship. We thank you for, for this, this bounty that we're about to consume. And, and we, we want to have you in the midst of us was the prayer, essentially. Because it wasn't just about the food. It was about everything that had gone on and the relationships we were building, the strong Christian relationships that, that our daughters had with their, with their son and their daughter, and, and all the, the things that he wanted to accomplish at that time. That is what prayer was about. And that is what God wants us to recognize about the Palau, that, that it is something that we speak with authority, under authority, with our mouth, we speak it, because he wants to partner with us in it. So I'm going to pray now. Father, I thank you that you have shown us these concepts. I thank you for a people here in this room and out there in, in radio land, listening to this, watching this uh, on the live stream or as a recording. I thank you for people that have a heart after you, that want to follow after you, that want to partner with you, that, that want to be with you. Lord, I thank you for those types of people here. I thank you that as you show us these things, Lord, that we are a people that apply them and move forward with them. And, and not as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and just, just come here to show up and to be, to be seen, but Lord, to really know you intimately. I thank you for those types of people. And Father, I pray that, that as, as pastor and the team returns, that you will protect them. Lord, I pray, I call forth your anointing upon these people here as they go forth uh, into this coming week, that you will empower them to speak your words. Father, when they pray for their meal, they pray at night, when they pray during the day. Father, when they call out to you that you will hear us, that you will be with us, that you will allow us to, to expand your kingdom, not only in our hearts and our minds, but out there in this world, Lord. Let us speak as those with authority because it comes from you. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.